0: Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML.
1: Today was final budget deliberation, a little earlier than usual. Usually we're talking end of March into April when this happens. Some changes, the strong mayor powers changed a few things, but here we are middle of February and today was the final day for budget deliberations. And as I said, a moment ago, it did pass and leading that discussion and leading that council and the one with those strong mayor powers is mayor, Andrea Horvath, who joins us now. Mayor, thank you for this. My pleasure. Are you, um, at the end of this process, are you relieved? Are you excited? What, what's the, uh, what does the mayor feel when this thing finally goes through and you don't have to deal with it anymore?
2: Well, it's been a long haul so so a, bu- a little bit of uh, of relief in terms of the fact that we we did uh, have the opportunity to pass a budget um, understanding of course that uh, the pressures were great this time uh, we had a, a lot to grapple with it was not an easy budget uh, folks worked very hard on it, both staff and council members uh, but uh, we came to a number that uh, that is n- is not just uh, city of Hamilton pressures but also Provincial pressure is inclusive. And and knowing that this is a a hard time for folks uh, financially in the first place, uh, we we got from 14.2 down, you talked about uh, the mayor powers, down to 7.9 with my instructions originally, and then whittled it back down to 5.8. Is that a number? Six of which were provincial.
1: Is uh, that a number th- that you are um, comfortable with or accepting? Uh, like, what would be again? I, I keep asking you for a description of a word, but w- when you get down to a number like that, what's your sense of that number?
2: Uh, my sense of the number is that it was uh, what was required uh, with the housing and homelessness investments we needed to make, and people on all sides of that issue are, are you know, telling us we need to. Do more work on that piece, and so we are. That's about 1.6%. Uh, the city kind of side of things, our regular, you know, pressures around wages and those kinds of things. Uh, another uh, 1.6, and then 2. Point, uh, uh, sorry, uh, 3.2. That adds up to, and then 2.6 was um, money that we didn't have any choice on. It's, it's dollars that the province uh, has, um, you know, basically. Downloaded to us in terms of development charge changes that now end up on the property taxpayer. So all tolls of the 3.2 would have been much better, uh, but we we couldn't not pay for the bills that the province is supposed to be paying for.
1: There were a number of councillors who voted against it today, which until recently, previous councils that was almost unheard of. But this is now becoming, it seems, the norm. And a number of them pointed out uh, something that came up at the meeting today, which was yes, the the the, the five point seven five point eight percent is better than what it could have been, but that's kind of obscured by the fact that reserves are being used to to help get us here because the real spending was nineteen point five percent increase in spending. That's an extraordinary amount of new spending, is it not? Well, the
2: the reality is that uh, reserves exist because of budget surpluses in the past so people know that we can't run a deficit as a city we also can't run a surplus and so those reserves are put in place uh, to, uh, to help us through exactly the kind of situation we're facing now uh, if we if we didn't have the pressures that we have now we wouldn't have, uh, have to utilize that tool but when I asked the staff to look at that tool I made it very clear I don't want to have any impact on our uh, on our uh, rating, in, in terms of our uh, AAA rating that we have, uh, and I want to make sure that it's a sustainable uh, situation. In other words, not only are we using some reserves over the next couple of years, but we are also uh, replenishing reserves, and so this is what the finance uh, uh, gurus, if you will, at City Hall uh, feel comfortable with. Uh, Mike McGarrick, the, G- the General Manager of Finance, is, uh, is very comfortable with the recommendations uh, that he made, and you know, this is this is a very very specific point in time when when things are increasing in terms of costs, when homelessness and housing are at a crisis level, uh, and when we are seeing changes to the way things get funded federally and provincially uh, that uh, are causing pressures for us. So I don't think anybody uh, thinks that this is something that's going to be able to be maintained over time. Uh, but certainly, it was a, a strategy that um, that that I believe was necessary at this point
1: in time. You mentioned Mike Zagarek, who's the head of finance. Uh, One of the things that he said at the meeting today was that because a number of the the ways that it was whittled down this year was through deferrals, next year's looming tax increase, not to jump ahead 12 months, I know you just finished this one and you probably don't want to hear about next year, but next year's tax increase is 8.1% before council spends one dime. That, that even with reserves we're looking at an eight point1 percent tax increase next year have did getting down to 5.8 percent today just push our problems off by 12 months
2: no on the contrary in fact if you recall at the beginning of this process uh, we were looking at 14 point2 so yes having a, a longer term or a medium-term outlook is extremely important uh, and will remind counselors uh, throughout this fiscal year, uh, that um, that there are pressures that are we're heading into for our next year's budget. And so I think that's a healthy thing uh, to provide that outlook that says, you know, all things the same, not being able to make any changes whatsoever, uh, this is what we're looking at. We know changes will come uh, in terms of the whittling that number down in the next budget cycle, but also having that number out there to, uh, you know, to remind ourselves uh, that uh, that we can't just continue uh, to ignore the, what the what the the next couple of years look like, uh, and we have to we have to make decisions accordingly.
1: As mayor, how do you drive that point home? Because again, nineteen point five percent was the increase in spending this year. How do you make the case we can't do that again when we're already staring at that big number?
2: Well, I, I think that was the point of putting that out, outlook out there. Uh, it's uh, it's a hard cold fact, and it's uh, something that we are all aware of. And it's something that will be a part of every discussion that we have going forward. I do, I, I do believe uh, that we have things that we have to invest in as a city. Uh, we have to support, uh, you know, people in our community in terms of the services that they need to rely on. People want, the you know, litter enhancements. Uh, people want roads to be repaired. Uh, people want to make sure that our rec centres are up to snuff and they, they can get not only, uh, you know, a rec centre that's uh, decent in terms of its... Um, a physical, you know, uh, state of repair, but also the programming uh, that uh, that their kids or, or themselves or their parents or grandparents uh, are able to utilize to to maintain a, a healthy quality of life. And so, uh, it's it, it's definitely a time of, as I said, uh, pressures uh, in terms of providing uh, good services. Uh, but it's also uh, important to to, um, to recognize that the cost of everything. Uh, has uh, has increased uh we were successful with a couple of uh of our you know bargaining sessions in terms of the uh, the way that we were able to hold a uh, you know hold a, a reasonable increase in in that regard uh it, it's a balancing act I mean, there's just no doubt that it's absolutely a balancing act but when you look at the fact that our budget was 3.2 percent on the municipal side municipal portion 1.6 of which was housing uh, you know, that's that's something I think that is important for people to recognize, it, that that other 2.6 really uh, was something we couldn't control because it was provincial downloading, really.
1: That is Mayor Andrea Horvath uh, on Budget Day. Really appreciate you taking time to talk about it today. Thank you.
2: Absolutely. My pleasure. Take care.
3: You're listening to The Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
1: We were just talking to the mayor about the passing of the city budget today, 5.8, basically 5.8% tax increase is what you're going to be facing. Not as dire as the 14.2 that once upon a time was what we were told it was going to be. Not on the other hand, the 2.2 or 2.3 that we got very used to over the years. What do we make of this? Is this a success? Let me bring in Vito Scro. He is a former political candidate. He is a political insider in the city. He joins us now. Vito, how are you?
4: Uh, my head is shaking.
1: Uh-oh, why not? Why is your head shaking?
4: Um, I think we've got problems bigger than I even thought. Scott, I, I just listened to the mayor, and, and first of all, I want to admit that this was a very tough uh, uh, activity going through to try to create this budget it's not it's not just stuff for hamilton stuff for all cities but we just spent 155 million dollars out of our reserves 155 million I, I i don't know what we have exactly right yet I, I can only go back a couple of years but that's a significant amount and with all due respect to the mayor that reserves didn't come out of past surpluses they were a requirement that had to be taken out of the operating costs every year. And that would leave us in a deficit. And the previous provincial governments used to cover that it's it's like a condo corp. You had to take money out of your fees to put to those reserves for a rainy day. It seems to me they started with let's take money out of the reserves. Instead of looking for efficiencies, you know, you're supposed to look for your efficiencies first. And then if you can't as a last resort, then you take them out of reserves. Not, not the way it seems now. So, I'm I'm pretty shocked at what happened today.
1: Well, it, I mean, look, it, there were a number of councillors, uh, six of them voted against it. There's a number of councillors who made the case that spending went up 19.5%. Reserves have obscured that by bringing it down so that people are not going to feel the full effect of this. But it's not taking away the fact that this council is still spending an awful lot of money, and at some point, we are going to have to pay for that.
4: Well, reserves are just future taxes, and, and it's going to have to be replenished. I took a look at the documents that were available online before the meeting. They, uh, the, they call them council-referred items, which is basically their wish list. 91 full-time employees at an annual investment amount per year of $71 million. That's going forward. Uh, Staff came back and wanted another 50 FTEs, full-time employees, that added more million on. That's just, that's insane. Now, again, um, they allocated an accounting estimate for the, you know, you hear the province download it. Well, that's the development charges losses for affordable housing. That hasn't even started yet you're allowed to take some per year based on you know estimates on a hypothesis they just changed that to even it out between this year and next year we're at 8% starting next year before their council referred items their wish lists there's going to be 60 million more taken out of reserves in the next 3 years according to these documents so that could be as much as 20 25 30% of our reserves they've got to be replaced
1: well, we only have a couple seconds here, and I wish we had a lot more time, but you just mentioned next year, and you know, I, I, I almost feel it's unfair, not really, but I kind of feel like it, when I'm asking the mayor about next year, five minutes after she just got through doing this year's budget. But you do have to look long term, and it was pointed out today, as you just said, that next year's tax increase, as of today is 8.1% while using reserves, a lot of this because things this year were deferred to the future, including next year. So as you point out, any money that council spends only adds to that 8.1%. There there has to veto at some point be a moment when they're not going to be able to defer this anymore, or worse, worse, they're going to keep deferring just until past the next election to leave the next council with a giant bag of you-know-what on their lap when they arrive at the council chamber.
4: Well, Scott, um, th- it was supposed to be a higher increase because they took the hit on affordable housing, which, again, hasn't even started yet. They wanted to take the hit this year to make it less in the next few years, and the cynical part of me says that was for, you know, just in time for the next election. See, it was high in the first year, but we got it down to 4 or 5% in the last year. Uh, it's, it's all moving numbers around. It's accounting tricks, and I'm a CPA, and believe me, I've seen these before. So uh, we've got problems. I mean, we've got severe problems, and, and here's where it stops. You keep doing this to reserves, we won't have anything left to spend. You know, we've added another, I forget the exact number because it was in the documents. We've added another $12 million in interest costs because of the debt we're going to have to take on. That's just an interest going forward because of this budget. So, look, I, I feel for them because it's not easy, but your article today was bang on. Stop with your ideological theories, okay? If you want to take a look at every budget, which I'm for, by the way, every department, I would love to see. But don't tell the police the, uh, services board. You've got to stop with your capital projects, but then propose 900000 to $3 million on a on a, a concert hall at a church. Okay, you lose all credibility when you do things like that.
1: Oh, uh, we got to run, but very, very quickly. the The fact that eight point one percent is next year's increase before anyone spends any money. I asked the mayor before, just at the end of our discussion, how do you, as mayor, convince this council not to spend a council that spent uh, that increased spending by nineteen and a half percent this year? I'll ask you the same question: How do you convince this council that you have to? tie up the purse strings and close the checkbook and not spend any money next year. How do you do that?
4: It's not, to, to be fair to the mayor, it's not really going to be her. It's a lot of pressure. And I'm telling you, uh, as we said many times when we spoke it on the radio, a lot of pressures come from the outside. And it did drop something, yes. And it's just deferring it. But I'm telling you, this pressure is going to get even worse. And you're going to be shocked at some counselors how they're going to feel the heat. And I know a lot of them already have so if you come with 8 or 9 or 10% next year, um, I, 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 there's going to be a revolt, a tax revolt. It, it's going to be enough. And my fear, I did see parts of the report from the, the bond rating service. I'd love to see that report because I know other cities are under a watch right now. And if we keep doing this, so are we, which means our interest rates go up, which means our property taxes go up.
1: Vito Scroll, always appreciate you coming on and doing this. Thank you. Thanks. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. I'm guessing my next guest is so used to, by now, getting the East Coast music when he's introduced. Named Tim Powers, chairman of Summer Strategies and managing director of Abacus Data and an East Coaster. Tim, how are you today?
3: Well listen, Scott, I'm glad you didn't do what Verbo did to us, you Uh-oh. know, and play Eyes the Buys and get us all <laughs> riled up. So thank you for not doing that.
1: One of these one day you will get an intro song that is not from the Maritimes. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it'll happen. Just you
3: know, listen, you can throw some Iron Maiden or A C D C whatever you want. Whatever the listeners want. Go for it. <laughs>
1: Um, I'll tell you what the listeners apparently want, uh, based on a new survey is the ability to not be anxious about their finances and to have some trust in politicians because this new, uh, well, it's an an annual poll by the can trust index by proof strategies. Uh, those two things, people, apparently most Canadians very anxious about their finances and most Canadians feeling no trust that politicians have any answers to fix our problems.
3: Yeah, unfortunately, it's not surprising, um, given the stress and strain most Canadians have been living, right? Just look at the inflation rate and how that is has fa- impacted uh, millions of people who are trying to pay mortgages. And many people who got variable mortgages when rates were much less, and they're just, some of them are right on the edge, if not falling over it. And there's the price of groceries, um, the cost of gasoline. Uh, So it's hardly surprising that politicians who Canadians look to uh, hope fix their problems are scoring so low and anxiety is so high.
1: Is it partly our fault? And I I know that seems like a weird question, but that we sort of expect that politicians will bail us out. It, it almost seems like at a certain point we have to decide we shouldn't just sit here waiting for them to do something.
3: Um, polling's an interesting thing, though, right? Yeah, I look, we have responsibilities, too, Scott. I'm with you 100% of the, uh, of the time on that particular argument. But I think when you're polled, you know, you're, you're asked very specifically about how you're feeling and, and how you're feeling about somebody in power. So at a time like this when things are tough, the politicians aren't going to score well look in in our proof is a great company this is a great survey in our research company abacus we found also people are not don't have faith in institutions either or they don't know much about institutions so court and parliament all these things so you combine all of this and it it creates a mess and it also explains why i think in in places like the United States and elsewhere when you have disruptors like Donald Trump they get bigger audiences because people think the traditional type of politician can't pull it off so why don't we look at a guy like him and that of course seeps into Canada
1: well and, and the flip side of what I said should also I'm sure be okay we may not we maybe shouldn't be sitting here waiting for politicians to save us but at the same time, I think people are also looking now and saying, OK, but we also shouldn't expect politicians are going to make it worse for us. And I think a lot of people are pointing <laughs> to that now, too.
3: Yeah, for sure. Look, and speaking of politicians, uh, I think based on the other polls, um, in the polls that look at horse race numbers, you see the, the governing Liberal Party in most of the major national firms uh, who've done polling on this are anywhere from 15 to 19 points behind the Conservatives, because the Liberals specifically are wearing problems that Canadians feel they've brought to them and haven't been able to solve and perhaps have have aggravated them. And opposition politicians in this country, Pierre Pauly, a great uh, example of that, have have seized upon that. So, you know, that's also floating about out there.
1: Is there a point at which this is not reversible? I mean, I'm not talking about specific political parties. I don't mean, Mm -hmm. um, can Trudeau come back? I mean, do we get to a point when it doesn't matter who's in power, we've become so cynical towards politicians that we're just, and maybe we're there, maybe we're long ago there. I don't know, Tim, but do do we get to a point where it's not turnable aroundable? There's a word for you.
3: Turnable, aroundable—that'll be a verbo ad, buddy. If you're not careful, <laughs> um, with with those chickens running around, that'll be what it's like. Listen, um, yeah, I, I think we're at a place where people are angry with the system and the people running the system, and I don't know if it's beyond reclamation, but it's in a tough place. That's why you see so many politicians who are successful right now running against the system, casting themselves as different. I mean, that's not new in politics. You and I can go back hundreds of years and, and point to that. Um, but I think we have, we have a, a more sophisticated audience of Canadians who get their information in different places, maybe get certain pockets of information that forms a view, and they're less likely to be impressed by somebody preaching hope and change right now than they were eight years ago,
1: perhaps. Uh, beyond reclamation is far better than turnable, aroundable. Just let me say that. That's why you're paid much more <laughs> than I am. Uh, is uh, so. I do also wonder though if now, if you're a politician now, politicians love to promise solutions. Oh, they yeah. love, but I wonder if now there's a message out here with this poll and others that you're better to really do that whole thing about underpromise and overdeliver rather than the other way around. Because I think people have gotten wise to that.
3: Yeah, well, and look, a guy who just turned 90, Jean Chrétien, did very well at that. Uh, Was a politician for 50 years through various different things. Prime Minister uh, for over 10, our last long-serving Prime Minister, uh, just ahead of Harper and all of that. And I think, yeah, it it is expectation management. But the danger for politicians is seeing that bright, shiny ball and going after it. So if you're the opposition right now, you are saying, oh, I'm going to fix this, and it's all Trudeau's fault, and when I get in, Everything will be better. They're not as worried about the circumstances after the fact right now because the bright shiny ball is so close. They just want to grab it and run with it. But I've yet to see anybody in current times make an argument that no, no, we, you know, we got to let our have our expectations down a little bit. We've got to we we we've got to think a little bit more long term and accept some pain. Nobody wants to accept pain, and that's something we all have to learn to deal with, right? Where the instant gratification. Generation and every if you're you're not uh, getting that right now, then you're dissatisfied, and that's something politicians and people themselves have to work through.
1: We got to go, but it was Ronald Reagan uh, who said something to the effect: I have the quote not exactly right, but you know the the most terrifying words in the English language are: I'm a politician, I'm here to help you. How do you (laughs) how do you think it would play in an election? If a politician, I don't care what party, said, you know what we're going to do, we're going to do a whole lot less than other politicians have tried to do, but we're going to do it better. Do you think less might work now?
3: The, the line we we used to like in Atlantic Canada is, I'm from Ottawa, I'm here to help you. They got thrown off the <laughs> wharf when they said that. Um Yeah, maybe. Right now the mood is if you're going to cut taxes, if you're going to stay out of people's lives, although many people on the right are moving in, uh, let's see, Scott, what the uh, next election brings about people stepping back and saying, I'll get out of your way, I'll do a few things well, but you can do the rest. You might see Polyev go that direction, uh, and maybe some others too.
1: Tim Powers, Chairman of Summers Strategies, Managing Director of Abacus Data, and wordsmith, far better than the host of this show. Thanks for doing this, Tim. Really appreciate it. Take
3: care, buddy. Bye. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
1: Earlier today, we heard that the Hamilton Ticats had an announcement to make at 2 o'clock this afternoon, and we knew what it was, and we got down to Tim Horton's field, and it was the retirement Of Simone Lawrence, number 21 on the Hamilton Ticats. Now he is sticking around. He's going to be a community ambassador and brand ambassador with the organization, but this is, um, to use a cliche and I really hate cliches, but I think it is accurate in this case. It's the end of an era. I think that Simone Lawrence, he's one of those guys on this franchise in this city that you can talk about the Simone Lawrence era. That's how impactful he was on and off the field. Let me bring in Rick Zampern. He is the host of Good Morning Hamilton. He is during the football season, also the host of the fifth quarter here on 900 CHML. Joins us now, Rick, how are you tonight? Hey, I'm fantastic. How are you? I am well. Would you agree that uh, that Simone rises to that level that we can refer to it as the Simone Lawrence era?
0: Absolutely. This, this era was defined by not only his gregarious nature off the field and his, his Huge smile, but his tenacity and ferocity on the field, which led him to be this franchise's all-time leading tackler, and that says a lot. Mm, because when you guys. look at the names who are on the list, Rob Hitchcock and Ange Mosca, and uh, you, know, you go uh, uh, Joe Monfort. I mean, you go down. It's a who's who of iconic, not only Hamilton players but Canadian Football League players, and he's right up there with those guys. So for him, for ten years day in and day out, year in and year out to be up for most outstanding defensive players, CFL East all Star, CFL All-Star every year. uh, There's no doubt about it. This last decade was the
1: Simone Lawrence era of of this Ticats franchise. And you mentioned his gregarious nature and then how he played on the field. That to me was always such an interesting, um, not conundrum, but uh, oxymoron almost, that a guy who was so effervescent is a good word for him off the field, could also play very close to the edge and as Zach Calero, sometimes over that edge. It was, it was (laughs) an interesting combination of personalities wrapped up in one guy. And there's not many like that who are just so
0: like a big teddy bear off the fields, away from the fields. You know, here's a guy who volunteers hundreds of hours in the community, whether it's hospitals or, you know, children's camps or helping kids learn to play the sport or coloring in a coloring book. Um, you know, he's, he's done it all. And then, you know, when he's got the pads on and the uniform on and he's between the lines, it's a completely different human being. And as I said, there's not many people who were able to do that for that long and that effectively. And
1: he's got to be saluted quite, quite the career. I he was not today talking too much about the process I asked uh, at the at the press conference about you know how what led into the decision and then how he got to um sticking around with the organization as this brand ambassador which we'll get to in a second I think it's a really good idea I think he's the perfect guy for this obviously do you w- would you bet if you had to guess free agency opened on Tuesday guys were allowed to talk to the teams for a week prior to that would you guess that probably the situation here is that they're because likely because of his age, there just wasn't a huge market for him right now?
0: i think I think the you know, I was thinking about this for the last number of weeks, knowing that, you know, this day would come eventually. And I thought this might be the year, especially after the the Tiger cats uh, picked up Jordan Williams in the trade with Toronto because now you're starting a guy at the middle linebacker or in Simone's position. And I know they have some other options there, but I it, it led me to think, okay, could this be it? You know, he's 35. He's coming off a really exceptional year for a guy who Very was 34. Good. And and a, and a rebound year in which the year before, 2022, he had some stumbles because he had some injury issues, which was the first time ever in his career that, that he was hurt. So I thought, you know, as this free agency period began, and we didn't get an announcement out of the gate, and that told me, okay, something, something's a little awry here. Or I was of one of two minds: either something's awry, or they have a plan in place in which you know they want to take care of their you know must-haves and and top needs, and then they'll get to Simone. And um, certainly the former was more true than the latter. And so I thought that the process was probably, and I'm purely speculating here because I haven't really asked it, that he still wanted to play coming into this free agency period. And when no teams were offering him, including the Ticats offering him either what he thought he was worth or from a playing perspective, um, what he th- thought he could still do on the field. I think he came to the quick realization of, okay, maybe that is it. And then when this opportunity came, he thought, okay, I, I could potentially wait a few more days in free agency and see what happens. Or, I can jump on this, and certainly he's jumped on
1: what the Tie Cats have offered him. He was asked the question today about is this really it, and I do wonder that. I do still wonder if if this season goes well for the Tie Cats, and we get down to Labor Day, do we maybe see Simone Lawrence? And, and there's an injury to a linebacker. Do we suddenly see the Tie Cats bring Simone Lawrence in? to fill that gap, it would give him half a year to not be worn out. He could be fresh down the stretch. I, I know he sort of poo-pooed the idea a little bit. I I'm, I'm not convinced that under a certain circumstance, he might not be back.
0: I'm a never say never guy. We saw it just a couple of years ago with Mike Daly, who was retired, had, you know, really solid CFL career for a Canadian safety out of McMaster. He came back for like a playoff game, as insurance. So yeah, I, I think yeah. I mean there's there's definitely a possibility if and you mentioned it, if the scenario presents itself, maybe even going into the playoffs, yeah, they have a rash of injuries. And Ed Hervey and and Scott Milanovic and and uh, Orlando Steinauer say, Hey, Sim, like can you play three more games? Um He's in the building. It you know, might be it might be unfair at that point because you know he's not gonna be as physically fit as he would be throughout
1: the season, but it would still be an upgrade if they have, you know, a rash of injuries at that position. One of the other things that not re-signing him as a player does, uh, this team, this, this team's defense has really undergone an overhaul, Rick. The, the people who show up at a game early next year are going to need a program to keep track of who's on the field.
0: Absolutely. A hundred percent. And and you can look at it one of two ways. Uh, number one, was last year's defense good enough? And a lot of people would say no because they didn't get very far. And number two is, well, will this formation of a D that they're assembling here be better than what they've had in years past? And on paper, it's always kind of you know hard to hard to tell. You see the names, you like the stats, the individuals are good from a chemistry perspective. You think it's going to work, but you just don't know until you see it. But when you see names like Jamal Peters and Brandon Barlow and Dwayne Hendricks and Jordan Williams, uh, you know, coupled with the guys that they already have, uh, like Casey sales who had a breakout year last year, Richard Leonard, a dependable guy, Stavros Katzentonis, who had a career coming out party last year. Uh, they can get to the quarterback. They can stop the run secondary. I think at least, you know, in, in black and white on paper that I'm, I'm looking at looks good. I think this could suddenly be the strength of the franchise once again. And not to say that it wasn't last year and it certainly was at times, but day in and day out, this could be a really tough nut to crack defensively.
1: Do you think the tie Cats have improved more in the first few days of free agency or their friends down the road, the Toronto Argonauts have, dis- have gotten worse in the first two days or three days of free agency?
0: Uh, I would say without a doubt, the tie Cats have improved more than the Argos have fallen back. Um, and I say that because the Argos from a quarterback position have still one of the best in Chad Kelly. And for the Ticats, Bo Levi Mitchell is a future hall of famer, but over the last number of years, he hasn't played like a future hall of famer. He's either been hurt or really hasn't played well. So if Bo Levi can do what Bo Levi can do, I th- I think the gap quickly closes. And coming into this season, I don't see the Argos winning anywhere close to 16 games. They might not even get in double digits, to be honest, unless they really, you know, stockpile the cupboard with some talent. Um, but they still have some good guys down there. They're still a well-coached team, but this Ticats team has, has got to be better and will be better if Mitchell stays healthy.
1: You know, it's so interesting that you raise that because there's a lot of people talking about Tim White, and we'll talk about him in a second, but there's a lot of people talking about Tim White or others. I uh, if by Mitchell hardly played last year, he really did. To me, yeah. if he can find what he had in Calgary in his glory days, and I don't know if that's doable. I mean, it's been a while since he was that guy who was the, you know, the best QB in the league, but if he could find that, I don't think it matters who you sign. That's by far the biggest quote, quote, free agent of the season in the league, a doubt. in the league. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, here's, here's an all-star quarterback who, let's just say
0: he plays 14 games. I mean, that would be, what, eight more games than he played this past season. You know, his, his war, his wins above replacement, if you will, is one of the highest in the league and has been throughout his career. It, and yeah, whoever is on the field, if Bo can play like he can play, he's going to find the receiver. He's going to get the protection because I'm, I'm liking, you know, what this offensive line looks like. We know what James Butler brings to the table out of the backfield. So I think offensively, they're okay. But with Tim White on the field they're that much better. So it would be a huge loss if he doesn't resign and it would be a massive gain if he does resign, because that's a huge weapon at Bo's disposal.
1: Uh, okay. So Tim White, this is probably, well, I don't even know if probably, I think almost certainly now the best available free agent that's left out there, Cat receiver from last year, uh, explosive player. How important is it, do you think now for the Cats to get him? Or, or is it, is he just a player that is, you can replace if you go and find, I remember Bobo Bilovich years ago said American receivers are a dime a dozen. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm not sure if we still believe that, but how, how much should TiCat fans be biting their nails and hoping Tim White resigns?
0: Well, I will also say that Obi said better is better. And Tim White is better than any other receiver on this team. So whoever adds him will i think win the free agency sweepstakes because he is by far and away the best guy still on the list and was the best guy coming into free agency so the question is how much is a team willing to pay because apparently the tim white camp is stuck on 300k a season which would make him the second highest paid non-quarterback in the league behind Gina Lewis and a lot of teams as you can see we're already into you know day 3 um, they're not biting on that number. So I think the the Tim White camp is going to have to, you know, redo their math and maybe come down to 275, maybe 250, whatever that number is, there's going to be a team or a number of teams saying, okay, now that makes sense. And I think the Cats will be one of those teams. Uh, but only one team is going to get them. And if it is Hamilton, that's that's a huge win.
1: Well, I, I, okay, so I, I think for Ticat fans, yeah, you would like to have him on your team, but there's a flip side to this too. If he doesn't come to your team you really don't want him going to the Alouettes or the Argos. (laughs) Go out West or do something like that. But I mean, honestly, uh, this is, and I wrote this earlier this week, but the the Ticats have one responsibility this off season. They could not beat Montreal or Toronto last year. I know they want to win a great cup, but you're going to have to beat those teams. You're closing the gap on those teams. If Tim White lands with one of them, it kind of flies exactly in the face of everything you're trying to do, which is to close the gap on those teams.
0: Absolutely. And the last thing I think Ticats fans want to see is, is Tim White in double blue, any, any former Mm Ticat in double blue. And, you know, with the receiving core that Toronto already has and the quarterback that they have, you know, that, that offense is suddenly that much more explosive. So that's probably the worst option for Ticats fans. And Montreal would be a close second. Defending champs, Cody Fajardo would love him on that team. Uh, would replace Austin Mack, who's now in the National Football League. Uh, that would be a great fit for the Owls. But again, does the money make sense? I don't know. You know, Ottawa would be, you know, a great landing spot for White as well. I know they've had their issues at the quarterback position. They ha- they've they had for eons ever since Henry Burris retired. But again, they that, that would be a huge shot in the arm for the Red Blacks.
1: What do you make of, we only have a minute or two left here, but what do you make of... Montreal Alouettes, and i that's probably a very unfair and weird question to ask because they won the Grey Cup, so they're obviously pretty good, but they weren't great last year. They got really good at the right time, but I'm not sure if they're really a really good team or if they are an okay team that just happened to catch a flyer.
0: It was one of the more remarkable Grey Cup championship runs I've seen in a long time because here is a team who literally did nothing in free agency other than you know, lose uh, Trevor Harris to Saskatchewan and then say, okay, I guess we're going to sign Cody Fajardo. And, you know, they kind of started out of the gate, not so hot. And then mid to late season, like no one could beat them. Their defense was unbelievable and their offense made big plays. And you look at the record, you know, 11 and seven during the season, but they ended up winning. What was it? Their last six, seven, eight games, whatever it was, including the playoffs and they just steamrolled. So yeah, they caught lightning in a bottle and maybe they just, found their game and there was some kind of rallying cry at some point of the seasons to say, okay, we can, you know, we can do this, you know, they pummeled Toronto in Toronto, in the East final, And then, you know, we're, we're obviously more than competitive against Winnipeg. They were, they were, you know, at, at the end of the day, the better team, the team that capitalized on their chances. So yeah. Can they do it again? I don't know. I don't, they have the same kind of personnel losing Mac is going to hurt. Standback's gone too. They're, they have a much different team, but I don't know. Jason Moss seems to be pressing the right button, so
1: it's that, that's going to be one of the more interesting teams coming into this season. Uh, it is, it is, and uh, and as you you mentioned Ottawa, we don't even you know nobody even talks about Ottawa. One of these years, Ottawa is going <laughs> to shock everyone by being relevant. And I, I mean, it just it's it's in in the conference that generally is less relevant, unfortunately, even though Hamilton is in it. In the conference that's less relevant, they are the least relevant. It seems it's someday it's going to happen. I just. I don't know when. I don't know when. But probably in a playoff game against Hamilton is, is when <laughs> Ottawa will become relevant. That's Murphy's Law, right? That's how that it sounds works. sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, Rick Zamprin, you can catch him tomorrow, 5.30 a.m. if you're up at that time on Good Morning Hamilton uh, until 9 o'clock. If you're up at any time before 9, tune into 900CHML here and listen to Rick. Rick, thanks for doing this.
0: You got it. Anytime. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900CHML.